you know I'm feeling extra, extra today. So I'm going to give you a word today that the Lord has for our house and from Indiana to here on Long Island and all around the world. Matter of fact, I was able to meet the leaders of our revival homes. For those of you who are new and you're visiting, I don't know if you know this, but we're one house with many rooms. And I was able to meet uh, people like Nikita, who is uh, um, Arizona. I think she's in Arizona. And she actually even helps lead V1 Kids Global. Let me just brag on her for a second. She opens up her home and has house church every week. Now listen, we are not babysitting your kids not in Indiana, not Long Island, not Brooklyn. We're not babysitters. We are priests and prophetesses. And, and so let me just tell you, Nikita's child, I was in Los Angeles. Now Nikita's helping us lead the V1 kids. And uh, her kids were with her. And I was in Los Angeles. We filled up the Angeles Temple, Amy Simple McPherson's church that she started, the LA Dream Center. I don't know if you heard of it, but we were given access to that venue for this revival tour. We filled it up to capacity for the space they gave us. And there was no stage. There was people everywhere. I was stepping over people to minister and people were giving me drugs and paraphernalia. They were getting free from addictions. Our team had to tell me, Pastor Mike, don't hold them in your hands because you're gonna sweat and get high on accident. Because uh, for real, I mean, every location I've been on, it's like two hands full of drugs. And our team's like, can we just put a box by your feet? Because we don't want you to be like, wow, I'm having an open vision. And they're like, no, you, that, was, that was opiates. And you're sweating and it went into your skin, you dummy. That's the kind of revival stuff that's been happening. Our team's like, man, we bless God for what's happening. But Pastor Mike, we don't want you getting high with the most high. So anyways, we were there in Los Angeles and Nikita's kid, and now this is how we shepherd your children and raise them up, because we're not babysitters. There's no junior Holy Spirit, and uh, we're raising them up. And it, right there in V1 Kids, this is happening now as I'm talking, we, we're, you know, yes, we have games, but we're not playing games. And so uh, all of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I just done three hours worth of deliverance and freedom and all that. Now these same people need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I wanna see the fruits of the Spirit in their life. As soon as I think that thought, her, her daughter, because like I said, there's no stage, there's no boundaries, she taps on my leg. And I look down and I see this little kid and I'm like, yes. <laughs> and now there's people everywhere vomiting, puking, demons screaming out this little kid. And it's Nikita's daughter and she said, you're thinking about the fruits of the Spirit, aren't you? And I was like, <laughs> well, excuse me, Samuel, <laughs> prophet to the nations. Actually, I am thinking about the fruits of the Spirit, and you're freaking me out. I'm not kidding. That really happened. And, but, it, but again, that's the strength of leadership of this house. Because when you're like, who? Every Saturday, my kid participates in the V1 Kids Global Zoom. And, and Nikita's kid is the fruit of her ministry, and she's providing that ministry to our house. I want to brag on her. I also want to brag on the sons of this house that we've been raising up that stepped up into this pulpit and into this stage, and they brought transformational, life-changing messages. So we, can we honor, come on, the sons of this house, Pastor Edwin Perez, Pastor Patrick Francis, Patrick, Pastor Evan Wilson. Can we honor them and their contribution to this house? Come on, thank you. From Indiana to Long Island, come on, there's a standing ovation here in this room that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. I am so proud of them. They poured, you know, the true test of a leader is what happens when you're not there. 
Okay, let me go a step further. Jesus didn't say it's better when I'm there. Jesus said, it's better if I go. Jesus said, you'll do what you saw me do and greater. And so this is not a one-man show. You have not joined the Mike Signorelli show, but if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. And see, this is about raising up spiritual sons and spiritual daughters that do greater things. And so I was in Pacific Standard Time, literally in Washington State, watching them preach, and I was bawling my eyes out, and I was saying, my, 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 the anointing that's coming out of Evan, that's coming out of Pat. Patrick, that's coming out of Eddie. I mean, it was, it was just, but it, for me, I was just like a proud papa saying what we're doing is bigger than what, the, the part that we play. And we're a part of something bigger than the part we play. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You know, what we are a part of is bigger than any part we play. Matter of fact, I want to brag on my guy Nadab. I don't even know if you know Nadab. But you know, Nadab has successfully completed V1 College. He serves as the head of our security, and he's constantly putting people in headlocks and tackling them on my behalf. I'm just kidding. I just wanted you to think that, you know. So, but the thing is, when we, when we got out to San Francisco, he was the only team member. We had a, a limited team in San Francisco, and I was like, Nadab, I need you to get up there, and I need you to preach and open this thing up in San Francisco. And he was like, mm? <laughs> What? I'm security. I'm like, no, you're a son who serves on security. And now you're a son who, oh man, make me I said, now you're a son who's about to preach. And he was like, all right, Pastor Mike, if you said I could do it, he gets up there in San Francisco. Now, mind you, this venue was next to a strip club. You want to know the name of the strip club? The Power Exchange. I said, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> I said, turn one of the speakers towards the wall and let the strip club hear the real power exchange up in this room. So all of a sudden, Nadab gets up there and he, he throws down and I'm watching him like, whoa. And then I start filming him like a proud dad. I'm like, look, look, go, go, Nadab, go. <laughs> and then Nadab, then all of a sudden, we get to Los Angeles and you know, Nadab has Middle Eastern descent. And there, we got word that there was a woman that was going to begin to preach into Pakistan, and she was afraid, and she needed an anointing. And I said, Nadab, I want you to go up, and I want you to preach in Angela's temple, and then I want you to actually uh, release an impartation on this woman. And Nadab went up there, and I mean, he started breathing fire. Matter of fact, his hand was shaken, and he started preaching, and his voice sounded like my voice at one point. And I was like, what in the world is happening? But how many of you know the anointing flows from the head down? And you can't be in authority unless you're under authority. But when you come into alignment, that oil flows. And I told Nadab, I said, you can preach because I can preach and I'm over you and that anointing is flowing to you. And when I put a demand on you, that oil is going to pour out. And Nadab went up there and threw down. Everybody was clapping and shouting and screaming. Then he got up the stage. He was like, man, did I do too much? I was like, no, son, you did it exactly what I, you needed to do. You know? We were laughing so hard because there's that meme with Kermit the Frog that says, the pastor asks you to open the service, and then you say, then you're, you say on the inside, you got a word in you. Go ahead and go ahead and release that word. And I said, Nadav, you did that, but the right way. <laughs> you know, somebody said, can you do prayer transition? You're like, I got a word in my belly. Ain't nobody going to stop me. Yes, we will. We'll turn your mic off around here. 
So anyways, I, I don't have enough time to tell you all the stories from tour. We're gonna continue to release stories. I've lived three lifetimes since you've seen me, um, but I was also able to meet our global online family at every location. And people said, Pastor Mike, you're my pastor. They hugged me in San Francisco. They hugged me in Seattle. They hugged me in Tri-Cities, Yakima. And they were, they were like, I mean, even V1 college students, you know, we say we had 136 students across 17 nations, but when you actually go into the earth and you meet them, it, it hits it's different, you know, and, and even some of them, we were in Seattle and one of the V1 college graduates from two years ago, when we first opened up the online option said, Pastor Mike, today is the day I decided to open up a revival home and in Seattle. So we've been multiplying while we've been out there. So I just wanted to report back to you what was happening. But here we were almost breaking attendance records here. I mean, it was like there was no, we lost no momentum. If anything, it increased, and I feel your faith in the room. So for the note takers, I wanna jump into this message because God get, did give me a, a brief message. I'm gonna give you the three things that Christ made normal, the three things that he made normal because normal is defined by what's normal in heaven, not what's normal here. Matter of fact, if you judge what's normal by what you experience here, this world has been infected by sin and corrupted by sin. And so what you think is normal here is not normal. And listen, your home, it might be normal for your daddy to cuss your mommy out and punch holes in the walls and slam cabinets. That's not normal in heaven. What might be normal is for people to not forgive each other and you have the Hatfields versus the McCoys and family feuds and people who haven't talked to each other in years. That's not normal in heaven. What might be normal, and this is not prosperity gospel, this is just the biblical gospel, like being constantly in lack and poverty is also not normal. It's not normal. Matter of fact, he didn't pave the, the, street, he didn't pave the streets of heaven with asphalt because he was on a budget. He paved him with gold because God is extravagant. I just don't, I mean, the, the, the old covenant temple, it wasn't let's make the ark out of wood because God don't need all that. And some of us, it's like the way that we think, we impose a standard on God that God's like, that's not normal around here. And so there's three things that Jesus established as normal that I want to teach you. But if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you the first wisdom key. Okay, let me back up. The first wisdom key, Christ is clarity. Christ is clarity. He's the only clarity. The only true clarity is Christ. That's it. That's it. We can, let's open up the altar. Let's end this service. That's enough. That's enough. I preached enough. The Catholics said, yes, you did. The Presbyterians said, we'll take three more minutes. The Baptists said, you got a little bit more. And the Pentecostal said, we got all day. <laughs> yeah, see, they're all loud. See, the Catholics are quiet and respectful. The Pentecostals are like, come out. I'm on a fast by the Holy Ghost anyways. I don't have no lunch plans. <laughs> and the Catholics have been saying, I've been hungry the whole time. I'm just teasing. I'm, te I'm, I'm teasing. I love you. Christ is clarity. Christ is clarity. Wherever there is Christ, there is clarity, but you have to invite him in. And so here's the thing. I know that you prayed a prayer that said, Jesus, come into my heart, but he wants to come into your sexuality too. 
He wants to come into your bank account too. He, oh, he wants to come into your relationships. I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, except for in that area, that one and that one and that one and that one. <laughs> I will make room for you right here because it's easy for me to make room in this area. I didn't say wherever there's Christ, there's comfort, but I did say wherever there's Christ, there's clarity. It might be uncomfortable to say, Jesus, I'm going to pretend if you dwell on the inside of me through the Holy Spirit, that when my physical eyes watch porn, I'm making you watch it with me. (laughs) I'm going to actually start to live my life in such a way that if I use my body to punch a hole, the Holy Spirit did it with me. (laughs) I will make room for you (laughs) right here in this hole. (laughs) Do whatever you want to. (laughs) You know, we sing these songs and we're all in the emotion. I feel the Holy Spirit. Well, how much of them do you feel when your wife ticks you off again? That's the measure of how surrendered you are. Not when Steph is singing and, you know, I will make room for you. That's a test of how good you can sing. That's a test of how much emotion. But the things of the spirit are not emotional. Matter of fact, the Bible is a two-edged sword that will actually divide asunder your emotions from your spirit. And so the true test of the spirit is what happens when your feelings contradict what the spirit wants you to do. And so, and so the spirit says forgive, but your emotion says that's unforgivable. I can't release that. You're, come on, your emotions say smoke another, drink a little. Come on, text a little. But then the spirit says, no, you better not, because that is a counterfeit for what God really has for you. And so Christ is clarity. But wherever you make room for him, there's clarity. Wherever there's no room for him, there is chaos. Matter of fact, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. So when he spoke light into existence, he spoke it by the power of Christ. And what was chaotic darkness birthed light. His spirit moved over the formless void. So you've got to understand wherever God is. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he is not the God of disorder, but he is the God of peace. He is the God of order. Wherever God is, he will establish order amidst chaos. One of the ways that you know Jesus is in your midst is not that you get goosebumps, it's that your life comes in order. Oh, only the sanctified people are clapping today. Everybody else is like, but look, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) I'm only speaking from experience because it's possible to go to church, but be unsurrendered. It's possible to sing, but not be surrendered. It's possible to listen to podcasts and read blogs and not be surrendered. It's possible to be medicated and unsurrendered. It's, It's possible to be drunk and unsurrendered. It's possible to be addicted and be unsurrendered. You know what the definition of true revival is? Is realizing you don't know what the gospel really is, and then you experience what the gospel really is. All I'm doing around the country is telling people you think you're a Christian, but you don't live like one. The Bible doesn't say struggle with your sin. It says sin no more. And so you're not struggling with it. You're just doing it a little bit less so you feel like you're still a Christian. But that's not victory. He says you are more than a conqueror. That means you, he'll never ask you to stop doing something without empowering you to stop doing it. The reason why you're still struggling with sin is because you're trying to do it through your own strength. 
So Christ is clarity. I want to read something to you. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I've been saying for years and years, I'm not religious. I'm not religious. Oh, you're religious. You go to church every, I'm not religious. But see, the Lord rebuked me and said, that's an unbiblical statement because I didn't tell you not to be religious. In the book of James, I told you what pure religion is. So right now, I want to help you. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is two things. It's the natural and the supernatural coming together. Number one, it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, this is not, this is not prescriptive. It's descriptive. Let me help you. If it were prescriptive, then we would be saying, well, how many orphans did you visit this week? How many widows did you visit? Oh, you didn't meet your widow quota? You don't, you're not, you don't know pure religion. Oh, you didn't meet your orphan quota? It's, it's descriptive. Let me tell you what that means. In this society that this was written to, the orphans and the widows were those who could do nothing for you the lowest rung of society. They were the most in need. So what it was saying is pure, undefiled religion is number one, what are you doing for those who can do nothing for you? Now, what I love is we're getting ready to open up a building in Indiana. One of the first things that we did in Indiana is said, how could we open it for a food pantry? Because we wanna serve food to those who are in need that, that they can do nothing for our church. They can't even give in the offering financially. They can't do anything because we will partly be judged by how pure was our undefiled religion. Were we serving those who could do nothing for V1 Church? I've been to churches where the more you do for the church, the better they treat you. The kingdom is opposite. The kingdom is I will treat best those who can do nothing for us because we're called to be servants. It's undefiled. But I want to tell you the secret. Because some of you are getting convicted because you're like, I don't do nothing for nobody but myself. Yeah, you should be convicted because you're going to end up full of anxiety and depression. The more you obsess about self, the more the level of selfishness increases, depression and anxiety increases to the same degree. And why? Because fear on an instinctual level is the thought of what is going to happen to me that is going to be to my loss or my detriment. So if you were in the woods and you were being stalked as prey, you would fear when you saw the mountain lion. This happened to me in New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans the first year of my marriage and I was working this job and it was right after Katrina happened. You, you remember that? And all of a sudden, and now ever, all the wildlife was displaced. All of a sudden, I went to go throw the garbage out, and this mountain lion jumped up on top of a car. And I was like, this is really happening. How are they going to explain he was eaten by a mountain lion in New Orleans? And, um, but immediately, I felt fear. And you know what I did? I ran. I'm not going to lie to you and say I'm Davidic, and I put it in a headlock, and I mounted it, and its head is in my living room right now. I was like, I'm going to run. And if it, and somehow, and so I ran back inside and no one believed me there was a mountain lion there. But my point in saying is my immediate thought of fear was I'm going to die. I'm going to lose my life. So the thing is, in order to feel that fear, I must care about my life. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? If I saw a mountain lion and I'm suicidal, I'm like, what's up? The time has come. Take me out of my misery. 
I don't want to be here anymore. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Fear is only produced to the degree that you care about your life. It's hard to have anxiety if you don't care. Am I making sense? You're like, I don't care. I don't even care. I've been to that level of hopelessness where I'm like, some, you know, you ever have something else hit, another bill hits, and you're like, ah, I, just, I don't have any money anyways. You're not getting nothing. Am I the only one? You're like, come and get me, y'all. There ain't nothing to get. So fear and anxiety is always connected to how much you care. And you'll get to a place in life where you're like, guess what? I don't care. That's the, but that's the unrighteous way to do it. See, Jesus said there's, a, there's another path. And it's actually if you lose your life in service to others, then you'll find it. So here's the thing. Right now, they're saying groceries are increasing in price and we see things going out of stock and it's all this fear-based stuff. But if you said, what if I did the opposite of that and I served widows and orphans and people in their affliction and I was more concerned with stocking their shelves than mine, then guess what? As you're on the journey of losing your life, you will find it. You see, you always fight a spirit with an opposite spirit. In an economic downturn where money is the thing they want you to be afraid of, that's when you should give the most because you break that spirit of mammon and say, I am not connected to this economy. I might use the money of this economy, but there is a heavenly economy I'm connected. And there's always going to be a Joseph distributing seed when everybody else is dying in a famine. But it's which economy are you connected to? What is your normal? For Joseph, he said, in Egypt, you all are starving, but in the kingdom, normal is abundance, and I will be the one distributing uh, food. So you see this? The second part of James chapter 1, verse 20. By the way, I have to say this. Every last Wednesday of the month, and you're all invited, at every one of our physical locations and globally, globally online, we distribute food to those who are in need. We distribute to hundreds of families in Brooklyn. We've opened up Indiana. We're distributing here through partnership uh, on Long Island. And I'm so grateful that our church doesn't just treat people good who can do for us, but we actually lavish the love of the Father on those who can do nothing for us. We're not even asking for church attendance. We're just being the hands and feet of Jesus. But the other part of it is this. And to keep this, now this one's a little bit harder. It's in order of importance. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Unstained from the world. Pure religion is you're unstained from Pentecostalism. That's the world. God didn't create that denomination. You're unstained from Catholicism. That's not a God-ordained, God God-made system. It's the systems of man, the religions and traditions of men. I know it's getting quiet right now, but how do you remain unstained? And let me just tell you why this is so important. Because you're gonna have friends who don't know the scriptures and they don't know the power of God and they're gonna judge what's happening in your life. They don't know the scriptures and they don't know the power of God. They don't know that this is what Jesus said. He looked at a whole bunch of intelligent, 140 IQ, intellectualized Sadducees and said, you know why you're asking me that question? I know you don't know the scriptures and I know you don't know the power of God. There are some people in your family that have big $50 words, $100 words. They have more degrees than a thermometer, but they don't know the scriptures and they don't 
don't know the power of God. And I'm here to tell you, they're going to judge you. But here's what, what I'm here to tell you. You can tell your friends, listen, you don't have to get it. You don't have to understand it. You can keep your opinion, but I want the power of God. You can keep your perspective, but I want the power of God. You can keep your denomination, but I want the kingdom. You can keep your church services and your man-made rituals, but I want the power of God because I know he still heals. I know he still delivers. I still know he sets people free. I know prodigals are coming home. You go ahead and blog about it. Keep your blog. I want the authority of the Holy Scriptures in my life. Come on, somebody. Pure religion is unstained from the world, but all the time we think, well, that means that I'm not clubbing because the world is out there clubbing and partying. And, uh, but there's another stain from the world. It's the religion made by the world. Can you be unstained? Because there's times where people are like, oh, you go to that church. Can I be real with you? Indiana, here in Long Island, come on. Can I be real with you? Oh, you go to that church where people are screaming and demons are coming out? Oh, you go to that church where I heard uh, the worship leaders singing in tongues? That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, oh, not everything's a demon. They say stuff like that. Not everything's a demon. If some of you had discernment, you'd realize it was actually the demon in them saying that to you. Because <laughs> if I was the devil, I wouldn't try to convince people God doesn't exist. I'd try to convince people I don't exist. The, the, the devil has no problem with you believing in God. It's, it's understanding that he's real. And so sometimes, oh, not everything's a demon. Okay, devil. I think if an apostle was alive today, one of the apostles would have been like, shut your mouth, devil. Matter of fact, if I got, I'm going on a tangent, but it, I'm just so stirred up. Did you know the woman who made money off of sorcery that was following the apostles was not saying God is a lie? If you know the scriptures, she was following the apostles saying, glory be to God. God be lifted up. She was actually pretending the demons in her were pretending to exalt God. But it was actually the apostle who turned around after days of enduring and said, shut your mouth, devil. Come out of her. And then, you know, how many of you have heard a sermon? Man, I'm going to talk to my leaders. How many of you leaders have heard a sermon about Paul and Silas in the jail cell? And they always talk about how they worshiped in the midnight hour. Do you know what got them in jail? Deliverance. Because when they cast the demon out of the girl, that, that she didn't have her supernatural powers from the devil to make them money. No wonder there's so, like the, the, real, the real problem was not prison, it was deliverance. But it's convenient that no pastor ever told you what happened before prison because they don't do deliverance. And I'm not cutting right now, but if the sword's swinging and it's slicing and dicing, let it take the head of our enemy off because the devil is a liar. They love teaching you about worship because their church does worship, but they'll never teach about deliverance because they don't do deliverance. And you'll hear this stuff. I, oh, your church is that church. But here's the thing. If the apostle Paul was sitting on the front row, the most normal things that happened in our church would be normal to him. And if he went to a church down the street, he'd be like, this was weird. At what point were we going to see a demonstration of the power of God? Sometimes, this is what Paul said, sometimes it's through the cunningness of words, and sometimes it's through a demonstration of the power of God. 
So there's a place for the cunningness of words, but if it's 30 years of crafting sermons but no demonstration of power, it doesn't look biblical to me. It looks psychological to me, and I don't need psychiatry. I need the supernatural. Matter of fact, if all this is is just good advice, then I'm just going to stay home. If, if this is just a whole bunch of fairy tale stories full of good advice, I'll just stay home. I'll listen to Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins and then Jesus and, and then Buddha. I'll throw him in because he's trendy. People want advice. They don't want spiritual authority because you can reject advice, but you have to submit to authority. People, oh, come on, somebody. People want a church, but they don't want a pastor because you can attend a church, but you got to submit to a pastor. But how do you think these demons are coming out? You think the name of Jesus is a magic wand? They told the demons, told the apostle, we, they told the uh, sons of Sceva, we know the apostle, we know Jesus, but who is you? Using the same words, but coming from a different power stream. One was the power of the psychological. The other was the power of the supernatural. The supernatural flows through the kingdom. The psychological, it flows through a good idea. I don't want a good idea. I want God's plans. God's plan. Come on, the young people are like, yeah. (laughs) No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. That's Albert Einstein. So if the problem was created by carnality, it can't be solved by carnality. It must be solved by the spirit. It can't, whatever the problem, the level of the problem, it can't. And so here's three things briefly, briefly, briefly. Jesus brought a new normal to healthy, open, crucial conversations. He brought a new normal. Jesus simply said, Mary and Martha, I want to use you as an example. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 41 said, basically, you should be more like your sister. And the reason why he was calling her out was he wasn't calling her out. He was calling her up. You have anxiety because you're worried about your dishes, but your savior's in the room. If you'll lose your life, you'll find it. If you get over the details of the house, then you'll see the one who wants to build the house is in the house. If you'll get, come on, sometimes there's a place to do chores, and sometimes you just push all that aside, and you tell your children, let's build an altar before the Lord in this house. We'll clean up later, but a clean house without the presence of God is still a dirty house. A clean house without the presence of God is still a dirty house because it's full of wrong ways of thinking. It's full of sin. It's full of contention and arguing. But if you'll step in and you'll say, kids, we'll clean later. We'll take out the garbage, but we got some spiritual garbage to take out. And so Jesus confronted, but he didn't confront to call him out. He was calling her to a higher level. And so what happens is when you are in the kingdom, confrontation becomes normal. You know what gossip is? Gossip is when you haven't learned how to confront the kingdom way. Do you know that there's people that feel confident in gossip, but, don't, but they feel afraid to go talk to the person and confront them? There's your sign. There's your sign. What spirit are you operating under? Is it easier for you to operate out of anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, but then to go to the person and confront them directly and have the crucial conversation? If it's easier for you to talk about that person than talk with that person, what spirit are you operating under? Because Jesus said, I'm going to say some things that sound mean, but I love you the most. 
Matter of fact, the proof that you are loved is discipline. Matter of fact, people say, where do you see the love of God in the story of Job? It's simple. He never let Job go. He never left Job to himself. Matter of fact, he was saying, Job, I'm still with you. I'm going to restore all. The, the, the glory of God was manifested through the process. And Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the Lord because he understood he is in control. I will not curse. I will not gossip. I won't talk to my friends about it, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So what's normal is open confrontational dialogue. Most of our staff members, when they get hired to be one within the first six months, they all say the same thing. They say, I've never seen loving confrontation done this way. It's so normal to call each other into the higher levels and do it in love. I know I'm truly cared for, but in most of our families, we don't see that. Number two, what's normal that Jesus made normal was financial provision. But I want to tell you how because this is not a prosperity gospel. Matthew chapter 17, verse 27 shows this picture. Jesus and the disciples are on mission. They're doing the will of God. They're fulfilling the vision that Jesus is giving from God. But then in the course of doing that, they have to pay their taxes. And then the question becomes, do we pay the taxes because God, you're our master. Are we still in that system? And Jesus says, we don't go, look, just so we don't offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line. Hey, Peter, you know how you're used to making money? Go down in the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the taxes for both of us. But that's offensive to people who always think that the message of the kingdom is only stewardship. It's stewardship and abundance because Jesus said, let me pay it for both of us. You, and, and here's the thing, I know you're a fisherman, but that's because you've always received your income from fishing. But I'm gonna use what you think is the only way to receive money, and I'm gonna show you a supernatural way to receive abundance. And see, I've gotta bring our church past just stewardship. Yes, I love zero-based budgeting. Yes, I love, we're gonna give this much to the church, and we're gonna go on reoccurring. But there's a place to say, God, I'm taking taking care of your business. No, you take care of my business. I'm doing your will. I'm seeking your ways. God, I need provision. I need you to bless what's on my life. And this is not a poverty gospel because Jesus was not poor. Judas was the purse holder. They had an abundance of money. And so people think, I have to take a vow of poverty. That's the doctrine of demons. As a matter of fact, the covenant that was established from Abraham literally said, we are blessed to be a blessing. That over the overflow of my life, generations are gonna be blessed. Why? Because God is gonna cause me to be a conduit for his blessing to the nations. And I won't receive any less than that. I'm not talking about blinging. <laughs> I'm not talking about flexing. I'm not talking about God just make me wealthy so I can enjoy life. But what you see in the book of Matthew chapter 17 is when you are doing the will of God. Let me tell you this, you need a new car? Start, start picking people up and bringing them to church. And the Lord will say, I've got to upgrade their car. 
they need a new car because they're a conduit for the kingdom. You want a better house? Open up your house for a connect group and start bringing spiritual orphans in and say, I want to father you and mother you and I want to disciple you. God say, I got to make more room. I got to get them to another house because they're using it for my will. The fastest way to upgrade your life is to connect it to the will of God. The last one, faith-based thinking. I'm going to give a powerful illustration for you as you write this down. Okay, faith-based thinking. All right, when you go to a tree, you see a nest. Where there's a nest, there's a bird, and there are the eggs of that bird, and they nurture those eggs, they sit on, they hatch, and then from that nest, they feed, they actually feed the birds, and they grow. Then those birds make a nest, and then those eggs hatch, and then it continues a cycle of building nests to nurture babies, to feed them and then grow. And then you end up having nests everywhere. The devil operates the same way. When you look into a tree, you don't often see the nest because the nest is made of the same material of the tree. This is revelation. So what the devil will do even in V1 church is he'll use V1 leaders He'll use V1 people to start building demonic nests. And what they'll do is they'll start throwing an idea, another idea, another way of thinking, another way of thinking. Oh, what about this? What about that? And they'll build nests. And then they'll bring people into that nest in our tree. And they'll nurture this demonic thought. And those nests represent strongholds. And the birds represent demons and they will be nurtured and brought to maturity and build nest after nest. And what I came to do today is start ripping nests out of my tree. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm ripping nests out of my tree because we are gonna be faith-based thinking and we are gonna be biblical-based. Matter of fact, this ain't even about V1 Church. It's about the kingdom coming to the earth. And this thing's gotta be about the kingdom. Matthew chapter six, verse 30 said, but if God so clothes, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into to, to the oven, will he not much clothe you, O you of little faith? Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, and if they went back, or and they went back and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Listen, as we stepped into revival, what the Lord showed me started to happen is people started allowing their flesh or the enemy to use them to sow doubt, to sow unbelief. To, and then there's a spirit of false religion. And I'm here to say, no, this is the new normal that Christ, for some of you, it just feels weird because this is the first church you've ever been to that's operated biblically instead of culturally. And it could be foreign to you because you're like, well, can't we just do our programs? But your programs left you in the same bondage you've always been in. Your community and your hangouts made people make it okay and comfortable for you to continue in sin instead of spiritual fathers calling you out of that darkness and saying it's time for you to rise up into your purpose. And this is what was happening in Mark chapter 14 or 16 verse 14. Jesus appeared to the 11 and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. We were just in growth track last service. I was meeting new members as they were joining the church and this woman began to weep because I said, do you have any questions? She's like, I don't have a question. I have a statement. She said, my husband and I pastored for 25 years 
And she goes, people would disagree, people would get hurt, they'd leave. We dealt with all that and our hearts were hardened. And then she just starts crying. Right there in the room here, she started crying and she said, the presence of God and the preaching from this house has softened our hearts and healed us and restored us. And I love this church and I pray for you guys daily. And she's like, I'm home, I'm home. And then I said, I wanna hug you. And I reached out and I hugged her. And then there was a young girl who is going to school to be a nurse. And she just said, Pastor Mike, I started doubting. She told me this after first service, I started doubting. I was getting too natural in my thinking. But today I said, man, if all of my plans would have been fulfilled, I would have depended on myself, my own mind, my own finances, my own. But I shifted over where 100% of my trust and reliance is Jesus now. just got to say this because we're fighting a spiritual war. I don't post deliverance and miracle clips for clicks or for clout or for fame. I do it to fulfill the command of Psalm chapter 105 that says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name and make known his deeds among all the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. And there's a generation that needs to see demons cast out of people because they need to know that it's still happening today. There's a generation that never saw the miraculous that needs to see video that proves that he still heals. But the spirit of false religion is okay with making biblical knowledge known, but hates when people see the mighty works of God being known. Christians under the spirit of false religion will celebrate biblical knowledge, but criticize biblical works that are happening in their midst. When the Holy Scriptures are only taken as good advice and not authoritative, you'll see Christians become addicted to blogs, channels, and communicators who distribute the psychological but do not even know how to demonstrate the supernatural. The psychological is produced through open conversations. Right now, the deconstructing church is saying, I just want to have an open conversation. But the supernatural is birthed through open heavens from conversations alone with the Holy Spirit. I question the motives of those who want an open conversation when, it, when they don't have a private intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not a great moral teacher, although he is the embodiment of all true morality. Jesus was not a social justice warrior leading a nonprofit, although he is the embodiment of all true justice and righteousness. Jesus was not a guru dispensing wisdom to help us fulfill our own plans, although he is the embodiment of all heavenly wisdom to accomplish God's plans. Jesus was not a commodity just for us to consume selfishly, but he is the bread of life that if we eat it, we will hunger no more. And he draws us to a place to receive so that we can become like him in the way that we give to others. To those who are demonized, we give deliverance like our deliverer. 
To those who are sick, we extend healing like our healer. To those who are in need, we extend relief like our restorer. Students have a teacher, but disciples have a rabbi. Teachers want to be heard, but rabbis say, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers also of the word. This spirit of false religion celebrates learning, but criticizes doing. The spirit of false religion celebrates dialogue, but criticizes demonstration. The spirit of false religion celebrates rituals, but criticizes revival. And I'm not going to let anything put out this revival. I'll keep posted until all the world knows that Jesus is still Jesus. I will keep shouting it from every platform online. I'll do it in every channel I can until they know that Jesus is alive. Jesus heals, delivers, sanctifies, and sets apart a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy generation. Okay, listen, first you accept Jesus as Savior, but then you have to make him Lord. First you receive forgiveness, but then you have to choose submission. I want to surrender to the real kingdom. I don't want just a Savior, I want a Lord. Savior is selfish, but Lord is submission. Lord, I want to give more. Lord, I want to press in deeper. Lord, I want to be the first person with a healthy marriage in my family. Because it's your marriage, I'm honoring you with this marriage. Lord, I want to be the first that raises up children that are arrows in my quiver when I release them into warfare. Lord, I want to be the first that stands up in righteousness and I'm feeding the nations, not begging in need because I'm a son or a daughter of the King. I want to be the first, but I'm surrendering all. Something stirring inside of you. It's the new normal. It's a new normal. When I was growing up, stability wasn't normal. But the Signorelli home is built upon the rock and it's stable. All else is sinking sand. You think your job is the rock? You'll find out. You think your bank account's the rock? You'll find out. Come on, somebody, you think your relationships is the rock of your foundation? No, build it on Jesus, and stability will be the hallmark of your family. Consistency. I'm not tossed to and fro from every single wave. Come on, I'm not worrying about your opinion or what you think. Matter of fact, some of you are going to come up into a season of apologies, and some people who didn't understand you are about to become desperate enough to apologize to you. Some people said, oh, I don't want prayer. Prayer's only the power of positive thinking. Prayer's only emotional contagion. But some of your family's gonna get desperate enough to say, I'm ready for some prayer now. I'm ready for Jesus now. I'll, I'll wait for my apology, but I'm not changing my theology. I'm not compromising. So right now, I feel like many of you are just stirred up in your faith. <laughs> I don't care if V1 Church gets judged. My judge is not the pastor in the regions where we have campuses who are offended that we're still doing the work of Jesus. My master is Jesus. 
and I'd rather be uh, I'd rather fulfill the assignment of my master Jesus and be rejected by infrastructure than to be accepted by it today and find out it was a replication of Pharisee and Sadducee this is deep this is deep but the new normal is here the new normal is here the new normal the new normal is going to be for you saying I used to have to smoke to get this level of clarity I used to calm down after I drank. I can't believe it. Now I've received the new wine of the Holy Spirit. There's something washing over me. I have a peace that surpasses understanding. Some of you are saying, I used to medicate to have this good of a sleep, but I'm sleeping because I'm contented and that I'm fulfilling the will of the Father. I got rejected all day. I got misunderstood all day, but I still, I still said, God, I'll do whatever you called me to do. In heaven, there are no careers. Therefore, you are not your career. Your career is how you make money, but your identity is how you make eternity. And so if you're so worried, what are they gonna think? Who cares what they think? You're royal. You're royal. You're royal in that workplace. That might be how you make your money, but you're a royal priesthood. And so I wanna pray a prayer of identity over our house all around because we got people represented all over the world right now and I just want to pray this prayer of identity over you because right now matter of fact I know today we're giving gift cards for gas to single moms today because they came to church and I know in the spirit there's there's a single mom who said there's no way in the natural but there's a coin in the fish's mouth there's a coin in the fish's mouth. You take care of God's business. He's going to take care of you. You get your kids to church. You find a way, and the Lord will make a way where there seems to be no way, and he'll open up the water in the wilderness. So today, I've got some gift cards for single moms because I want to show them there's a coin in the fish's mouth. It's not always your own human striving. Sometimes God says, I'm just going to bless you because I'm going to spoil you because you're my child. Let's offend that spirit of false religion today. Come on. Let's pray. Father, right now, over every single person, under the sound of my voice, V1 Indiana, V1 Long Island, V1 Brooklyn, all the revival homes around the world, I release the anointing of impartation right now, the impartation of faith, faith that they would begin to rise up like never before, faith that they would be uncompromising in their faith, that they would not settle in their faith, that their opinions of man would not cause anything to take them away from your perfect will, faith in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it.